Have you ever been in an emotional tug of war with your child or other family members about how OCD is managed? In the next series of three podcasts, I'll uncover the origins of the most common conflict within families, which are usually power struggles, and show you how power struggles do more harm than good. Then I'll lay out an alternative I call the relationship reboot. Welcome to the Free Me From OCD podcast. If you or someone you love has OCD, you know that OCD can hold you hostage. OCD can get in the driver's seat of your life. Here you'll find the information, tips, and tools to put you back in the driver's seat of your life. I'm Dr. Vicki Rackner, your host. I call on my experience as a mother of a son diagnosed with OCD when he was in college, physician, and life coach to help you evolve into the best and highest version of yourself. Let's dive into today's episode. You, your child, and your family members are in a battle against OCD, and OCD is a formidable foe. However, sometimes family members battle among themselves. This is like football players tackling their own teammates. Today, I'd like to deconstruct the most common cause of conflict between family members, power struggles. When you think about power struggles, you may have memories of the morning battles with your toddler to get her shoes on so you won't be late for work. While power struggles with your college-age kids look different, the origins are the same. You get in a power struggle when you try to solve a problem by persuading another person to do something differently. To restate, you get in a power struggle when you want to change your circumstances and your plan for the transformation depends on the actions of others. You unplug from power struggles by exploring what you can do differently so you get what you want. Here's what you need to know. You want your child to be freed from OCD. You will have a very strong urge to persuade or cajole or demand that your child do the work you think that they should be doing. This is how OCD power struggles begin. The best and most effective way to support your child is to unplug from power struggles and invest in what I call the relationship reboot. Now, there's a lot of content here, so I'm going to break this out into three podcast episodes. So first, let's flesh out these ideas with a real story slightly tweaked to preserve the family's privacy. Joan, the mother of an 18-year-old daughter, Kelly, who was diagnosed with OCD about three months earlier, called me in a state of despair. She said, I'm at my wits end. I don't know what to do. Please tell me specifically what I say and what I do to get my daughter, Kelly, into therapy. I asked Joan to tell me more about her relationship with Kelly. Well, Joan raised Kelly as a single parent. Joan said that she and her daughter had a strong you-and-me-against-the-world respectful relationship. Joan rarely nagged Kelly. Even when Kelly was in middle school, for example, Joan didn't take on the role of homework police. She believed that the natural consequences of incomplete homework would help her daughter make better choices. 
they had very little drama or conflict. But things changed during Kelly's senior year of high school. Joan said, Kelly just lost her sparkle. She became distant and somewhat secretive. I thought that this was Kelly just separating from me. Kelly went to the other coast for college, and Kelly and Joan spoke regularly. Joan noticed that Kelly was having a hard time getting her sea legs at school. At first, Joan wrote it off as a transition to college life. However, when Kelly came home for the holidays, it was clear that something serious was going on. Joan persuaded Kelly to see her pediatrician, who made the diagnosis of OCD. Now, all of Kelly's struggles dating back to high school make sense to Joan. They made a plan. When Kelly returned to college, she would find an OCD therapist. Her college had a medical school, and Joan felt confident that Kelly would find the help she needed. But that's not what happened. Kelly made an appointment with two therapists through the student health services and dismissed both of them because, as Kelly said, they just didn't get me. In the meanwhile, Kelly would call Joan in crisis. At first, it seemed like they had crisis calls about once a week. Then the calls started getting closer together, twice a week, three times a week. Joan said to me, look, I'm not a therapist. I don't know what to do. I'm just making this up as we go along. But I'm scared and I'm worried because my daughter's getting worse. Help. What do I do so that Kelly gets the right help? Well, Joan and Kelly are knee deep in a power struggle. Well, does this interaction sound or feel at all familiar? Here are some clues that you might be in a power struggle. You keep having the same conversation over and over and nothing gets resolved. Emotions run high and you feel less connected to the other person rather than more connected. So let's deconstruct power struggles. Our human brains behave in predictable ways. If there's a problem in our lives, we tend to look outside of ourselves for both the cause and the solution. Power struggles have their origin in a very human thought. My life would be better if only the people around me were different. Now, my life would be better if my toddler would just get her shoes on. Let's say you're going through a rough patch in your marriage. You walk into the bathroom and find a wet tile that your partner threw on the floor. Again, you think, I've asked him a million one times to pick up the towels. This person believes that if her partner picked up the towels, their marriage would improve. In other words, if her husband changed, the marriage would change. However, after years of nagging, the towels are still on the floor. Why? It's not for lack of love. The human brain behaves in another predictable way. When you try to persuade a person to change, they resist. The harder you push, the more resistance you meet. This sets the stage for an emotional tug of war that rarely, if ever, gets resolved. Now, this woman has years of evidence that she's not winning this towel power struggle. So how could she escape the towel drama? Well, here's a sneak peek of the relationship reboot. 
If we dig a little deeper, we see that the problem is not the towel. It's the woman's thoughts around the towel. Oh, if he cared about me or respected me, he'd pick up the towel. That thought leads to anger and frustration. However, that thought is optional. This thought could be replaced with another thought. Oh, that's just Dave being Dave. Maybe I'll just use my guest bathroom. Or maybe she decides that the towels on the floor are a deal breaker and she decides to leave the marriage. In the relationship reboot, you focus on how you can change to get what you want. And that is the key to unplugging from power struggles. Now, let's set aside OCD for a minute and talk about your job as a parent. Parents and children are almost by definition engaged in power struggles. So most parents invest 18 years to impart the values and skills and tools so that our children lead successful adult lives. Parenting balances to opposing force. You want to keep your kids safe and your kids want to have agency over their lives. So we give kids more control over their choices as their brains develop. When you're the parent of an infant, you keep your hand on the child as you change diapers to keep your baby from rolling off the changing table. As their brains and their nervous systems evolve, they learn to crawl and then walk and then do calculus. All of these things happen because their brains meet developmental landmarks. But get this, by age six, your child's brain weighs almost as much as an adult brain. But you don't leave a six-year-old alone when you go out shopping. Why? Well, a six-year-old brain doesn't have the adult function yet. Your child's brain undergoes a process of pruning and rewiring. The rewiring begins at the base of the brain and then works up to the thinking brain. You can usually identify when the pruning reaches the prefrontal cortex during the teen years. You might ask, who hijacked my child? When the prefrontal cortex is under construction, you might find that your child who once made great choices now is making irrational or downright bad choices. The prefrontal cortex continues to mature until your kids reach their mid-20s. A friend Lisa once said to me, keep them alive till 25. The higher car insurance rates for teens are a tax on young drivers. And the rates don't drop until about age 27. Well, when the prefrontal cortex is under construction, it has an interesting quirk. The brain has limited insights about its own limitations. Mark Twain said, when I was a teenager, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. As an adult, I was astonished at how much he had learned in a few short years. Now, imagine what happens when the OCD monster finds its way into your child's brain when your child is, say, between ages 17 and 24. The heart of OCD treatment is for people to learn how to use their minds to manage their brains. OCD management calls on the higher executive function of the prefrontal cortex to manage their brain more effectively. But the higher executive function is not all there. This is a catch-22. 
So you as an adult see that your child faces a dangerous situation in which the solution is limited by the circumstances inherent in the problem. And you get scared. So what's a parent to do? Well, if you have a child learning to manage OCD, my guess is that you'd love to have a magic wand and magically free your child from the tyranny of OCD. I'm also going to guess that when your child was diagnosed with OCD, you dug in and you did your homework. You discovered that OCD is a treatable, manageable condition. Through your own education, you might have a clear understanding about the work your child needs to do to get to the other side of OCD. You might have created an OCD manual in your head that lays out the treatment plan. Well, what happens when your child with OCD doesn't follow your manual or doesn't follow the manual on your time schedule? As parents, we have an understandable human tendency to dive in and fix things for our kids, especially when our kids are in pain or they face health challenges. So when your child has OCD, the stakes feel very high. So Joan desperately wants Kelly to follow her OCD manual. She wants Kelly to find an OCD therapist and get some professional help. Now, from your perspective, this might seem like a very reasonable request. It's perfectly understandable that Joan would try what's known in ballroom dancing as backleading. In ballroom dancing, the man leads and the woman follows. If the man does the steps wrong, a woman can try to gently push or pull her partner so they do the steps correctly. Ballroom dancing instructors recommend against back leading. Before age 18, your child followed your lead. Now, at age 18, as an adult, your child wants to lead her own life. Back leading and parenting a child of OCD might take the form of nagging. Did you call the therapist? Are you doing your ERP homework? It might take the form of interrogation. How many times did you give in to the compulsions? You might even step into the role of thought police, constantly surveilling your child's brain for new obsession. All backleading is still an effort to push or pull your child into conforming to your OCD manual. Your emerging adult child wants to make their own choices. They have their own OCD manual. When their OCD manual and your OCD manual have the same constructions, it's easier to respect your child's autonomy. But when your child ignores your OCD manual, you have a deep human longing to step in and influence your child's choices. As parents, we want to lead when we get scared. And that is the crux of OCD-related power struggles. Now, you might be asking the question, if living with OCD is so painful, why doesn't my child follow my OCD manual? Well, here are some common reasons your child resists the work that they need to do to get to the other side of OCD. First, your child might wanna be seen as normal. They wanna fit in. 
they might wish they didn't have OCD and translate that longing into denial about the diagnosis. Your child might have a different OCD manual. Maybe their focus is how to make the thoughts go away, as if they could surgically excise the OCD monster. Your child might have beliefs about the impact that OCD has on their lives that are different than yours. I remember treating a breast cancer patient who was a university professor in the sciences. You know, when I first met her, I said, well, what brings you in today? And she said, well, my husband is complaining about the smell. As a breast surgeon, I'd never heard that before. But when I examined her, she had a breast cancer that had eroded through her skin, leaving her with an oozing open wound. You might wonder, how does a clearly intelligent, informed scientist get to that point? Well, our human brains use denial as a way of dealing with our current reality. So your child might be minimizing the impact of OCD-related thoughts and behaviors. On the other hand, there's the possibility that you might be catastrophizing as you project what their future might look like. Next, your child's OCD monster grooms your child. So let's just imagine that there's this OCD monster that takes up housekeeping in your child's brain and takes over your child's life. Now, we all know that there's no monster there, but this is a helpful model. Over time, the OCD monster has been grooming your child to be able to take control of his life, much like a sexual predator does. The OCD monster wants to get more control of your child's life, not less. What do you think Kelly's OCD monster tells Kelly about getting a therapist? If therapy is successful, that's a suicide mission for the OCD monster. Of course, the OCD monster says no to any efforts to relinquish control. So when Joan talks to Kelly about finding a therapist, she might be talking to Kelly's OCD monster. Next, your child might resist your OCD manual because they've lost faith in the ability of the healthcare professionals to actually help them. The sad reality is that there are few healthcare professionals who truly understand OCD. You know, I'm a physician and I missed my son's OCD diagnosis for years. Further, treatment for depression or anxiety can actually make OCD worse rather than better. But here's the great news. We know what does work, and it's ERP. I'll leave a link to the podcast episode about ERP below. The most common reason your child resists your OCD manual is simple. Treatment is hard. We're asking our kids to master skills that most adults have not mastered, witnessing and choosing their thoughts, leaning into unpleasant feelings, and resisting urges. Now ask yourself, if my child is dealing with any of these sources of resistance, will back leading and nagging help? The answer is usually no. So here are the problems with power struggles. The headline is this, back leading doesn't work. 
No one wins power struggles. People don't like being told what to do. When was the last time you were able to persuade somebody to do something that they weren't inspired to do? Backleading is expensive. You want your time and energy invested in battling OCD, not battling your family members. Here's what you need to remember. When you're engaged in power struggles, you erode your most powerful parenting tool, a loving relationship with your child. Backleading builds walls and not bridges. Plus, backleading is disrespectful. It communicates the message, I don't trust you to make these choices, so I'm going to step in and take over. Well, I hope that I have convinced you about the danger of power struggles. If you want the best for your child, if you want to help your child get to the other side of OCD, I recommend you simply drop this rope in the emotional tug of war. So let's summarize what we've talked about so far. You have a manual in your head about how other people should behave, including your child learning to manage OCD. You get into power struggles when you try to persuade others to follow your manual. When they resist, you might try backleading. But backleading doesn't work because people don't like being told what to do. Your best plan for helping your child get to the other side of OCD is the relationship reboot, which we'll address in the next two podcast episodes. But before that, here is your homework for this week. Simply notice when you reach for your manual about how other people should behave. Notice how often you try to persuade others to follow your manual for them. Notice when you think that the solution to a problem depends on what somebody else does. You might think, oh, I don't do that. I remember picking up a book called The Complaint-Free World. I was troubled by the people in my life who complained, and I wanted to learn how to deal with them. I thought, I don't complain. I'm optimistic. But once I read the book, I was shocked at how often I complain. So when you notice your manual and your backleading habits, don't beat up on yourself. Simply say, oh, how human of me. We'll talk about how to do a relationship reboot with your child or your partner or other people who are not following your OCD manual in the upcoming episodes. Looking forward to seeing you then. In the meanwhile, please subscribe to make sure that you don't miss an episode. Thank you for your time and your commitment to helping you and your family be freed from OCD. You can do this.